Finally Awake Indeed. That is the band's seventh day slumber. Finally Awake. How you doing? This is ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 49. Coming to you from the highly crowded streets of Seattle, Washington, USA. Uh, last week's show, yeah, I was uh, passionate, huh? Screaming and yelling and freaking out a little bit. I was being passionate. I uh, I just want you to hear me, man. I I'm, I just don't want you to get to that uh, that point, that rock bottom point, before you turn around and say, "Yeah, I better get a hold of this thing." You know, I, I want you to I want you to get a hold of it now before before that day comes. I think that was the cry, the plead from my heart for you in last week's show. Being just so sick, so sick and tired of faking. So sick and tired of this disease, this uh, disease of the heart, the infliction. I talk about the heart disease, uh, the addiction to something else. But I have a few things I'm going to talk about today. Wanted to address on the show today. I uh, I saw a movie recently. Rented it. Uh, it's called We Are Marshall. This was a great film. Uh, true story about a football team. Now in America, the, uh, football is different than the rest of the folks in the world. Um, you would be thinking about soccer. Here in the states, we. Uh, we do football is uh, it's football. <laughs> Anyways, that's where uh, that's where we come from, the NFL and the college football. But basically, this college football team had uh, had all its players lost in a plane crash. All of them. This was in seventy one, nineteen seventy one. They just made a movie about it. The heartache, the pain that these folks had to deal with. Um, you talk about hitting rock bottom, you know, I mean, for a lot of folks, this was pain, this was agony, and a lot of people had a real hard time recovering from that, the, the city, the town, the college, trying to recover from, from all these these folks being lost. It wasn't just players, it was faculty, it was booster club, it was, it was tragic. And um, how does this, what does this... Uh, have to do with sexual addiction and overcoming addictions in life. Um, there was a picture in the movie that reminded me of, of my struggle with this and, and probably going to be yours as well. I'm going to get very real with you today. Um, last week's show, I, I asked you to, to do some things and, and to make a real heart-level decision. And some of you may have relapsed since then. Uh, I got an email from a, a listener talking about relapse and you know, the, the relapse over the years and going long distance and then relapse. Um, basically, I'm going to talk about getting to getting past relapse, but I'm also going to say that uh, this is going to take time, especially if you're in the compulsive phase of this addiction and you're trying to beat that. I, I've been there, um, and it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. I'll be honest with you. There's no magic pill. 
There's no one-size-fits-all cure. It's going to take time. There's a picture in the movie where uh, one of the coaches who was not on the plane trip that day, who was, uh, he's in a church, and they just lost uh, their first game of the season. The, basically what they do is they petition the uh, NCAA to get freshmen to play. So they do get freshmen to play, and they get some other folks to play, and basically they have a very young football team, uh, unexperienced football team, understandably, but they get beat, man, they get beat bad, and they're struggling with this, you know, they're struggling with, uh, are we just embarrassing the school by doing this? And one of the coaches is in the, in the church and he's praying and he's just ready to quit, you know, he's just ready to quit and throw in the towel and the guy who's hired to be the head coach is, uh, comes up and sits behind him and they start this dialogue and the head coach uh, responds to, to the cry of this guy's heart, which was the, the day the, the head coach of the, the old team died, he said um, winning is everything you know, if we don't have wins we don't have a team so the, the new head coach responding to, to the hurting heart of his, uh, his teammate, his other coach there, he says, uh, you know, he says, you're right. He says, so he said that in the past too. Winning is everything. You've got to win. And he says, but with this school and this time, going through this tragedy and this kind of heartache, he says, you know, maybe winning really isn't everything. He says, maybe maybe it's not just winning or how we play the game. He says, maybe it's just getting on the field. The last show, I, I basically was a challenge to get you on the field. Um, that team, after that talk that he had with a coach and a Another talk that he had in front of the memorial uh, led that team on to victory in the next game. That next game against a very fierce, a very tough competitor. That next game, they won that game. And it wasn't easy. But they got on the field. They laced up, they suited up emotionally charged spiritually charged they won that game now they they didn't have a stellar season after that I think they won two more games the whole season but the game that matters is the next game the opponent that you're going to face tomorrow that's the one that's the one that matters for you today for the the game you're going to play today, the game that you're going to play tomorrow, I don't know when you're listening to this, a.m., p.m., whenever you hear my voice telling you these words, understand that the next game is the one, man, the one you need to win. You're talking about one day at a time, Russ? Yes, yeah, I am. One day at a time, Take this thing on daily. And in this first season of yours, you may not win every time. 
Maybe you're in your third season. The football team at Marshall went on to win a championship in 1984. Plane crash happened at 71. Listen, uh, I don't know what it is underneath it all, all right? I don't know what it is underneath it all that you need to heal from, that you need to address. Basically, I want to tell you that reaching for Jesus instead of your addiction is a is a great thing to say and you know if you're if you're a Christian listening to me you've probably been to church and you probably heard somebody say that and say you know just turn away from your addiction and turn to Jesus well i think that there's some truth in that for a day by day battle but in the long run and having a true faith that's not running to something or away from something the problem with religion, and this is this fine, fine line between religion and Jesus. The problem with religion is that we can run from our families and to God, but that's not God, that's religion. If you have to run away from your wife, from your kids, from your responsibilities as a husband and a father, and run to religion, that's religion. That's not Jesus. That's not God. All right, I'm going to explain a little bit about Yom Kippur in a minute, but uh, that's, you know, I addressed that on last week's show. Yom Kippur is a Jewish holiday. Basically what happens is, is two goats are sacrificed. What I mean about not looking at religion and turning to Jesus is, as our Savior is this um, it's linear alright I reach for God up and as the power and the strength of God flows through me I can reach down to my wife my kids my community it's like it's like lighting up a light but that takes work and it takes faith in Yom Kippur, the first goat that's sacrificed is slaughtered. Both of these goats represent Jesus Christ. The first goat represents the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And here's where a lot of you are getting hung up. Here's where I got hung up. Maybe you don't even understand this whole Christian thing. Maybe you just hear my voice for the first time and I didn't know this was a religious show. It's not. It's not a religious show. All right. I'll tell you a quick story uh, about me. I uh, grew up in the 80s as a teenager. I loved uh, punk rock. I remember when punk rock first came on the scene. As a Seattle boy, it was it was kind of a, amusing. You know, the Seattle kids trying to do this new punk rock, which is roots, I think, came from Britain. It came from American rock and roll, but also from Britain you know, embracing the blues and, and rock and metal and but basically the hearts of these kids who started this kind of music were um, beat, you know, they were beat, they probably had parents that were jerks alcoholics, freaking out on them calling them punks so they embraced that, I'm a punk alright 
and they started this kind of music and they wore work clothes you know and they they dude up their hair they made mohawks and blue hair and and uh the music was very emo it was very emotional am i saying it was all good no a lot of it was pretty dang negative it was embracing sin because that's all their hearts knew at the time that's all they knew and they came up with this raw edgy very fast paced music called punk rock and the funny thing is that 20 years later, um, the clothes that were, were featured in punk rock were basically work clothes. Because I feel, I believe that a lot of these kids really didn't have too much of a choice in, in what they wore. I mean, they weren't the rich kids. They weren't the preppy kids. They wore work boots. They wore army boots. They wore dickies. They wore... You know, dungarees, they wore work clothes because they had to work. So that's what they wore. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't the, uh, it wasn't what the popular kids wore. It was punk. And here today, 20 years later, you go to, uh, you go to a place called like Hot Topic, which is like a punk rock store now. It's in the mall. They have a ticker symbol for God's sake. You can buy pink sweatpant dickies. It's a band called Bowling for Soup. It's kind of poking fun at this. It's wrote a song called Punk Rock 101 and how far we've come. But it's just funny that the, the music and how it started out, it's basically flip-flopped, you know. It's, it's become uh, edgy music, you know, wearing work clothes. I'm a punk. And now it's it's popular, you know. Dickies are now the cool clothes. These are these are work clothes. They they were made for industry. And now now you're cool if you wear dickies. I mean that's just weird. That's just like flip flop, right? That's just like backwards from the way that punk rock was born. The reason I tell you that is because the church is the same way. I reject westernized Christianity, most of it, because it's it's just it's just flip flopped. It's like pink sweatpant dickies at the mall. It's like going into a punk rock store owned by a corporation, okay? Punk rock was kind of against the man. It was part of the music. Um, the church in the first century was the broken people, the messed up people, the people who, even even the rich people who didn't have it all right, you know? They couldn't fake it anymore. Their hearts were broken, and they went to this guy, Jesus, and then Jesus reached out to these people. He was constantly rebuking the religious people. Constantly throughout the New Testament, he's rebuking the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious people. And he's reaching out to the prostitutes, to the, to the messed up, the tax collectors, the people doing jobs they didn't necessarily like or were proud of the fishermen, the broken people, the drunkards. Jesus reached out to that crowd. And now we come full circle here in 2007, and especially here in America, the American church. Um, it's like the rich people, right? You know, it's the rich people who are who are going to church. You see in church, it's the, the rich white Republican and now it's it's the broken people who are looking at the church and going, yeah, I don't want nothing to do with that. 
They're posers. I'm, that was that was the first century church. Was those people? It was the people who who were broken, who said, "Yeah, my life ain't working right." Jesus help me. There is a spiritual power that comes from Jesus. That's not philosophy. It's not psychology. All right. I I had a book. I, I mean. I had a box. I was in the basement. I was looking through some of my old stuff, and I I had a box of psychology audiobooks that I used to listen to that I've driven around and listened to. How did that work for me? It, it didn't work well, right? It just didn't work well. All my knowledge about psychology was you didn't stand for a rip. I think some of you are listening to my voice, and all your knowledge about religion isn't 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 helping you right like you you know the bible inside out you know some of you and you're still addicted you're still broken um the pharisees that were always highly criticized by jesus they didn't just know their bibles i mean these guys memorized whole books of the bible like that was their discipline. They had to have to memorize like the book of Exodus. Could you imagine memorizing word for word the book of Exodus? Because you, you know, there was no printing press invented then, so you couldn't carry a Bible around with you, so these guys would memorize sometimes the whole Torah. And they would still stand there and point the finger at the broken people and say, why don't you just get right? Why don't you just get right? Just get your act together. For how many of you in this addiction, how's that working for you? You heard somebody say a sermon like that? Like, why don't you just get right? Why don't you just get fixed? Why don't you just knock that off? All right, sex addiction is real. It's real, and there really is brain chemistry involved. Just like the chemical addiction to drugs or alcohol, you have brain chemicals and you have nerve centers and all that stuff is fighting against you and you're going to get on the field and that stuff, those chemicals in your mind are going to be like a 300-pound linebacker when you're starting out in this thing. And you're going to have to break down that brain chemistry to beat that guy. But here's the difference between this addiction and the analogy of football is that eventually if you keep fighting and you understand your heart and you unpack your own heart... Knowing your own heart. Once you learn how to do that, that 300-pound linebacker gets a lot smaller. All right, that 300-pound that linebacker can be uh, a squirrel. You know, a, little, a squirrel with a little jersey on. You can knock him aside a lot easier. But it's going to take, uh, it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take fighting hard. It's going to take finding out why and asking yourself why you want to. Why do you want to? There's part of you that wants to. Asking yourself why. Why do I go there? Why does my mind go to sex so quickly? What is it that I'm trying to numb? What is it that I'm not trying to numb? What if, instead of sexually, what if in the emotional realm I felt everything what if in my own heart 
I felt everything, every embarrassment, every shame, every joy-filled victory. What if you let yourself feel? I'm writing a chapter in my book and, and I think this is one of the keys to overcoming addiction for the long term and that's knowing your own heart. And the more questions I ask in this chapter, the more uh, the more questions I get, you know, the more questions I have answered, the more questions pop up. It may take me years to write this book, but I'm going to write it because it's important. But knowing your own heart is, is huge. And that's asking yourself why, the tough questions why. The second goat in Yom Kippur that sacrificed is let go. It's called the scapegoat. You probably heard that. That's a big term, especially here in the United States. It's a you know term, slang term kind of we use. Oh, you're scapegoating. But just like I talked about a few shows ago, I talked about idolatry and what's your point of glory. And sometimes we can take really good things, stuff that God made that's good, and we can turn it into a God thing. We end up putting it ahead of God and our families and everything else in our lives. Idolatry. The second goat, the scapegoat, can also be part of idolatry. It's a negative upside-down idolatry. Part of the, the whole ritual of Yom Kippur was to worship God. Sacrifice one goat, let one goat go. It's to cover sin and it's to worship. As we unpack, as we cover our own sin. Two questions I want you to ask yourself this week. And Number one is um, the first goat, the sacrificed uh do you realize that Jesus is enough? Do you know that? Are you still trying to earn your salvation? Are you trying to earn it? Are you trying to be good enough for Jesus? Are you trying to be good enough? Are you trying to look all bright and shiny? Are you? I had a listener send an email said he's in a highly religious community. And anonymity is, is very important to him. And, and I just can't imagine the, the pain that that must be because, first of all, that is backwards from the Bible and the book of Numbers. And I mean, all the way to the New Testament, it, you, we unpack our sins, we talk about our sins. Religion is just. Man, how long can I fake it? How long can I show this outward mask? How long can I put on the clothes? I can do the rituals. But take communion. You're not even... Man, you're not even known what that means. If you're stuck in addiction, if you have secret sins, secret struggles, secret things, things you struggle with and nobody knows but you and you're all alone in those struggles... Well, how is that working for you? You know, how is that working for you? Ask yourself that. I think down in your heart you know. And that's part of knowing your heart too, is saying, hey, how is this working for me? But that's what I want you to ask yourself this week is is, is am I trying to earn my salvation? Is 
Jesus' death on the cross, is that enough to cover my sin? Does he love me that much? Does he really love me that much? Is there a, you know, is there an eraser? Did he write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life in pencil so he can erase it out? Is that is that what you're asking yourself? Or do you really think that way? You think that he's going to get so disappointed in you, he's going to scratch your name out? They used to say, worthy is the Lamb. And I used to, what the heck is that? What are you talking about, worthy is the Lamb? I don't know what you mean. Lion and Lamb? What? Worthy is the Lamb means that worthy is the Lamb of God that was sacrificed. Worthy. Word, that word, worthy. Get that in your soul. Jesus is worthy to cover that thing that you did, that that sin that's just on your back, this thing that is gnawing at you. It's like nibbling at your brain. Jesus is worthy to cover that. Yeah, even if you fail tomorrow. That's dangerous, Russ. Talking about grace, you know, sin covered with sin. Why would he, why would we ever repent? Because Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, listen, um, there's some things that just aren't good for you. I don't want to be mastered by anything, he says. This thing's mastering you. And the blood of Christ can cover it, but you have to realize what that means for you. And knowing your own heart, understanding worthy, worthy is the lamb, understanding what that means for your heart and your soul. Yes, Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it. Accepting Jesus Christ into your heart and saying, all right, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to take you as my personal savior. What does that mean, personal savior? And you accept what Jesus did on the cross as the last sacrifice, the last blood sacrifice. No more killing goats, no more killing lambs, no more burnt offerings. Jesus paid it all. That's what worthy as the lamb means. If you don't think you're a sinner, you know, go through the book of uh, go through the book of Deuteronomy. Go through the book of of uh, Leviticus. Lay your life on that law and see how you hold up. You're a sinner. You're broken. You're stuck. Somebody left me a a, a nasty little review on iTunes. It was a called me a homophobe and it's basically scapegoating here's a person who doesn't has never listened to my show you know they don't I've never come out demonized gay people you know I I don't look at gay people as gay people I I see people in same sex attraction Um, I've talk to people who have been stuck in multiple affairs having sex with multiple partners in the homosexual lifestyle 
which is highly dangerous. You know, this, this is not just me. This is not just Christian America talking, but um, two men engaging in, in sexual intercourse is is you're about seven times more likely to get AIDS. You're about four times more likely to break a condom. All right, and he says, well, what about a loving homosexual couple who's monogamous? You know, I, well, if I could have traded my rosy childhood for a loving couple who were homosexual lifestyle, you know, I would have traded that in a heartbeat. Seriously. My narcissistic parents and my upbringing. And I love my mom and dad, but I tell you what, it was not pretty then. You know, I can forgive that, but uh, it was just a lot of self-serving. It's narcissistic. So, you know, understand me, all right? I'm not a homophobe. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not condemning you. I don't think what you did is any more evil than what I did, all right? They say on the on the review there that I, you know, I'm a liar and I'm a adulterer and yeah, that's true. You know, I was bad boy. I did some bad things. I am no better than anyone. That is all religion, by the way. All religion points the finger at the other people and says you're bad or the good people. You're the bad people. No. No. Having Jesus in your heart says, you know, I'm broken. I struggle with this. I struggle with other things. I'm walking by faith. I'm accepting the blood of Jesus. I'm letting things go. All right, the scapegoat was the sin that they had to let go. Beating yourself up. Day after day, some of you wake up with this guilt and shame and it is eating you alive. Shame goes so far deeper than I had ever imagined. Ghost cuts to the core of your daily decision-making, your emotions. I heard a quote by a guy, I can't remember his name, French guy, but he said that Shame is like a hemorrhage of the soul. And that's true. So what? how do you let it go, man? And that's another thing that you need to ask God and just pray about and say, how do I do this? Help me know my own heart. How do I let this guilt and shame that is just on me, how do I let it go? How do I get it off of me? How do I let that goat go? And here's what the idolater does. They blame it on someone else. All right, I call myself a survivor of childhood sexual abuse because I think using the word victim is very, you know, it can give people the wrong impression. Like I can scapegoat my victim. Like all the bad stuff I did, that was my victim's fault. That's scapegoating right there. That's blaming my bad behavior, my choices on someone else. Did what happened to me mess me up? Absolutely. Was it my fault what happened to me? No. I was a kid, man. I didn't sign up for that. 
was it God's fault? No, God created this world, but it's jacked up, all right? It's jacked up from the beginning. And there's waves of just garbage that flow through this planet. And the stuff that happened to me was not my fault. The stuff that happened to you is not your fault. Have you unpacked it? Have you looked at that? I know not all of you have been sexually abused, but I know that a good percentage of you have. Have you even looked at it? You know it's eating, it's nibbling away at the back of your brain, and it just seems like this bad dream, this fuzzy thought, this thing that may have happened, may not have happened. I don't know. You tell yourself. You've never really looked about it. You never really prayed about it. You never pulled it apart, never pulled that string. And it could be the very thing that's affecting your day-by-day decisions, your emotions. It is rot in the spirit. And for some of you, maybe you just need to work on your marriage. Maybe you just need to stop being so self-absorbed. Maybe there is a, you know, maybe your work is, is consuming you. Maybe you have a boss that's riding you. Maybe you had parents where you had to do everything they said and, and they produced in you this person who has a hard time saying no. So in turn, your boss, you know, makes decisions for you that override your family. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know where your heart is. There's, there's no silver bullet. There's no magic cure for this thing. But I pray that you understand, you understand the scapegoat, you understand the the blood, the blood of the goat that was slain, and how that's covering you, what that means, what that means for your broken, jacked up soul, you know? I think that scapegoating is a a huge symptom of the idolatry in religion. People who can't let things go, people who don't realize that we fight a spiritual battle, not a battle against people. And sure, there's evil in people, man. I I know it. People do evil. But scapegoating is, it it just produces pride. It produces this I'm good, they're bad attitude. And it doesn't it doesn't lead to healing. It just leads to more pride. The more we try and blame our problems on the, the country, you know, the the president or the gas prices or you know, sure, the, all that stuff's painful, but I'll tell you what, there's there's more to life than looking at everybody else and saying how screwed up they are. You know why the world's evil? Because I'm evil. I talked about that in a previous show, but that's a, that's the truth. The only person that I can control is the person behind my eyes. Stop scapegoating. Understand the love of God that's flowed out and poured over you. Like I said in my last show, having the water just all running all over you and drenching your body in pure love and light. 
you haven't done that yet, go back and listen to 48. So I want you to be done. I want you to get free. Send me an email. It's uh, russ at asi247.org. If you could leave a review for me on iTunes, man, I'd appreciate it. Kind of uh, go against some of these folks who leaving reviews without even listening to the show, I believe. What's up with that? But, uh, yeah, if you could go to iTunes and leave a review of the show, man, I would I would appreciate it. If you want to leave a donation, uh, the website's asi247.org. Donate, keep this show on the on the iTunes, on the internet, on the on the web worldwide 24-7 I'll leave you with a song by Seventh Day Slumber it's called Broken Buildings there's beauty you know, we're not shooting for perfection people, heard Rick Warren say this, we're not shooting for, for, for perfection we're shooting for raw beauty you know, love gives birth the artist paints a picture, makes a song, makes a film. They're not about perfection. They're about raw beauty. Let's get to that. Remember, pray hard. And life is 20% the stuff that happens to you and 80% how you react to it. Until next week. Saturate my mind with memories of the only one who ever loved me. And everything in time. Fade away It's left me here with broken blue